Good morning. Let me pray for us. Pray for me. Father God, um, you truly are glorious. And um, I thank you so much for um, these songs that we've sang that which give us just a taste of, of who you are, your power, your majesty, uh, so many different aspects of you. And Father, may those uh, descriptions of, of you sink into our, our minds and our hearts. And um, may we realize that uh, compared to you, we are just a speck on the landscape of eternity. And that's all we would be if it wasn't for your love for us, for the fact that you came down among all our specks and you gave us meaning and significance and you died for us on the cross so that we may have a relationship with you. Father, help us to, to realize that more, to be more in love with you for what you've done, Father. I pray for our time together. Only through the power of your Holy Spirit will anything be said, anything be grasped that would have any kind of eternal consequence. And Father, we pray for that. We pray that the ears and the hearts of each person here would be open to receive not a message from me, but a very special message from you. And Father, help us to take that and apply it to our lives and walk out of here knowing that we've had an encounter with you. And Father, I pray for me that uh, there's nothing in, in me that can do anything that could change a life, but only through the power of your Holy Spirit as we share your words or we share your thoughts. Father, I just pray for your presence here among us. I know that you are here. I praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. My name's uh, Tom Downing, and uh, our uh, pastor obviously isn't here. He's on a, uh, a wildlife field trip, I think, with his dad and his uh, two sons, and uh, they may make it back for next week, but in any case... Um, I'm also on the schedule, at least for right now, for next week. So to kind of give you a little primer of um, what um, we'll be talking about, I'm going to be talking next week, uh, Lord willing, uh, about a very special group of people that uh, scriptures have uh, identifies, kind of sets apart. And this group of people, they're not the pastors, even though they could be a pastor. They're uh, not the elders, though they could be in are one. Um, they are not a particular sex. It crosses both sex. They're not a particular nationality or race. It crosses all nationalities and race. So um, I would encourage you to be here because we just might be talking about you and you want to, you may want to be here to hear what we have to say about you. So this morning we're going to be looking at a woman for all practical reasons should be totally insignificant, amounting to nothing, especially when it comes to uh, spiritual things. But we will be looking at her, <coughs> at her transformation from nothing to an example of one of the great people of faith that is found in the Bible. 
my prayer for each of you as it has been for me and, and what studying this woman has done for me is that um, she'd be, be someone that you can learn from. She would be an inspiration for a higher calling. And if we follow her example, uh, she will lead us into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Our lady this morning, her name is Rahab. Rahab's greatest lesson for us is that she is an illustration of the transforming power of God who can take our past, no matter how bad it is, no matter how many things are going against us, God, if we allow him, can transform us to greatness as it did for her. For Rahab was a prostitute. She sold her body to men for sex. Our culture, particularly the movie and the music industry, make light of at best and glorifies often prostitution, prostitution, which is deadly for young women. For the most part, it takes young, vulnerable women and enslaves them into a deadly lifestyle. Other variations of prostitution are sex trafficking conducted all around the world, and the most sickening of all are parents who, for financial reasons, sell their children into this deadly activity. Rahab was a woman who was practically valueless for just being a woman, and the liabilities on her life became even greater due to her lifestyle. The culture in, in Rahab's time, and to a certain degree, our culture today views prostitution as a sin committed by women. But we need to remind ourselves that for every act that is committed, there is a willing man who, in addition to participating, also finances and encourages its spread. In spite of this and another number of other aspects of our life, that we'll, we will get into soon, Rahab is included with the great men and women of faith that is found in he Hebrews 11. A woman of great faith, even though she did not know Jesus Christ, she had no Bible, no preacher ever proclaimed the truth of God to her, yet Rahab learned about God and determined to follow him whatever the cost. The story of Rahab starts in Joshua 2, but before we, before, before we get into to the context of our story, I want to just give us a, 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 an overview of, of what's going on. Some 40-plus years earlier, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, and Moses was confronting Pharaoh for, for their release. God performed many miracles through Moses, <coughs> with the final blow being the Passover. Pharaoh relents and lets the Israelites go. Pharaoh then changes his mind and pursues the Israelites, thinking, hey, I want these people. I don't want to let these slaves go. The Red Sea is opened up for the Israelites to escape across. Pharaoh and his army come upon that, and they decide to go for it as well. And then this Red Sea folds in on them and kills all of, the, all of Pharaoh's uh, army. You know the movie, the Charleston Heston movie. Moses is leading the Israelites now to possess the promised land, promised by God to Abraham and his descendants going back to 
Genesis 12, some 500 years earlier. Moses sends in 12 spies to check out the land. They all confirm how great the land is, but they come back scared to death, all but two of them come back with this scary report. The people, the Israelites, they refused to go in. Caleb and Joshua tried to persuade them, but they would not hear of it. And as a result, they didn't go in. God was furious with them, wanted to wipe them out. But Moses pleaded their case before God, and, and God finally relented and said, okay, I won't wipe you out, but none of this generation except for Caleb and Joshua, will enter the, pro, uh, the promised land. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years have gone by, and now Joshua is in charge, and they are about to enter the land. Before they enter the promised land, Joshua now sends in two spies to check out the land, specifically to check out Jericho. The men are spotted and reported to the king of Jericho going into Rahab's home. The king sends some emissaries to Rahab about these guys, and she said, yeah, they were here, but they're gone now. But in truth, she hit them on her roof. Rahab visits the spies on the roof, and, he sh and she shares with them her belief in God. The rest of chapter 2, the spies are telling Rahab, because of what you did, we will make sure that you and your family are saved when we come to tear these walls down and destroy the city and all that occupy it. Finally, in Joshua chapter 6, why don't we turn there, please. Joshua chapter 6 is that final um, outcome. Joshua 6, verse 23. So the young men who had, gone, who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now that we have the overview, let's start breaking down some of the specific verses in our passage, starting at Joshua 2, verse 1. Verse 1 of Joshua 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Joshua sends the two spies into the promised land and when they get to Jericho, they want to remain as inconspicuous as possible. The place to do that is in the local brothel. These establishments were all those who were traveling would stay. In addition to the obvious, they would also provide food and shelter and a place to spend the night as they traveled throughout the land. These brothels were found usually separated by a, a, a day's walk from one to another. Rahab's establishment happened to be right on the, on the wall of Jericho. 
But they were spotted by others and were reported to the king, and the king sends some emissaries to find out what's going on. Why do you think that uh, Joshua sent the two spies into the land? Why do you think he sent the two spies into the land? Joshua had had already personally checked out the land some 40 years earlier. He didn't need to see any further, anything further about the land. But I believe just as God had told Moses in number 13 to send the spies to check out the land, God told Joshua to do the same. But this time it was for something else. The passage doesn't say this, but I am convinced that God sent the two spies in to save Rahab. The two spies had no idea what their mission was to be any more than the outcome of our day-to-day lives as we hopefully walk by faith and not by sight. This is the heart of God, saving someone like Rahab. This is the heart of God. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of the shepherd with a hundred sheep. One sheep goes missing, so he forsakes the 99 to go looking for the one. In John 4, Jesus violated the Jewish culture, uh, cultural rules by going through Samaria. He did this so the Samaritan woman would be saved along with the community that she lived in. The God of the Bible is the God who will interrupt time. He will change the future just to save one. And that one has been many of us here in this room today. And it can be you if you need to trust in Christ. The whole theme of the Old Testament this time, and particularly this book, is to judge and destroy evil and to give the land to the Israelites that God had promised to them. But all has stopped. The DVD has been put on pause for God to engage this woman. And you know what? God wants to do the same for you and for me. All you need to do is call out to God. God wants to also use us to reach the countless Rahabs of the world. I use that term now to be representative of the millions of people that are stuck in their sins and are desperate for a way out. In the world who are waiting for a representative of God, a person who is walking by faith, who is willing and prepared to share their faith in Jesus, to draw, to draw the Rahabs of, of this world to the Savior. Are you that person? Do you walk in faith? Do you start your day in prayer to God? Let me be your instrument as I go about taking care of my family in the course of my job or in pursuing my education. Lord, help me to be used by you to minister to the person who needs a Savior today. Moving on in our passage, verses 4 through 7, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to, to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax. She had laid them on the roof. She had hid them on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. 
And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Rahab hides the spies and tells the emissaries that you just missed them. If you hurry up, you might be able to catch up with them. She committed treason against the king of Jericho. She and her family would be subject to a cruel and wicked death if the king should find out what she had done by hiding these spies. We'll talk more about this in a moment. She also does what in this passage? What do you, is there something in there that catches your eye that Rahab does? Right, she, told, she tells a bold-faced lie. This raises the question, when is it okay to lie? Now, for some of you, your answer may be whenever I need to. That's, that's not the biblical answer. Whenever you are faced with two sins, either way is a sin. In this case, to give up the men for a, for a quick and sudden death or to tell the lie. If you have to choose the least of the two sins or to state it differently, which way will bring God greater glory? So what did Rahab do? She chooses to risk the lie to save the lives of the two men. Let's go on in verses 8 through 11. Before the spies lie down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What a tremendous confession of faith. I think any pastor would be proud to have a congregation full of Rahab. But remember this. Remember that this woman did not know Jesus Christ. She had no Bible. She had no preacher proclaim the truth of God to her. She was a Gentile. She was a pagan Amorite. And she was a prostitute on top of all this. Yet she is risking her life and confessing her belief in the God of the Israelites. The passage raises some questions. This passage raises some questions. How did, the, how, how did Rahab get to the point in her relationship with God, or more simply said, how did Rahab get saved? The simple answer is that she heard about the God of Israel and what God was doing and this message that she had heard first went to her ears and her mind, and then it went to her heart, and she believed in the one true God. Who did she hear the message from that brought salvation to her? Who did she hear the message from that brings her this salvation? She heard the tales of the exploits of the Israelites and their God from the folks who frequented her establishment, the brothel. The exploits of the Israelites are public information performed in broad daylight. The cries of the Israelites to be freed from the captivity in Egypt was well known. And the miracles God was doing through Moses to bring this about, and then the departure of the millions of Israelites through the Red Sea was a known fact. This was not done in backroom closets. It was done in broad daylight to the witness of the entire culture of the day. 
during the last 40 years, some of the conversations from strangers near and far as they reported their tales of foreign wonders inside the candlelit brothel. Could have been something like this. Have you heard what's happened in Egypt? The plagues, the Nile River turning to blood, the land was rampant with frogs. It was destroying the, the, the crops. The, all their cattle died in one day. The sun disappearing and the death of everyone's firstborn. The death of everyone's firstborn, but not of the Israelites. What is happening there? And then the, the parting of the Red Sea. My, my brother was on the far bank and he saw the entire thing. And then it swallowed up Pharaoh and his great army as they pursued after the Israelites, and they were all killed and drowned. These Israelites are just over on the other side of the Jordan River. They are claiming that God has given them this land that we are now living in. They just recently defeated the well-trained armed soldiers of Og and Sion. These Israelites are just a ragtag group of former slaves and I don't think they even know how to sharpen a sword, let alone how to use one. They are getting closer. As Rahab pursued her profession, she had been taking all this in for the last 40 or so, ye so years. First into her ears and then into her heart. I believe that she identified with the Israelites who were in bondage to the Egyptian, Egyptians because she was in bondage to her profession, and just as the Israelites cried out to God for deliverance, I believe that Rahab did the same, and as God will do for anyone who cries out to him, he brought deliverance to her. I'm going to shock you now. I have a name for this kind of evangelism. I call it whorehouse evangelism. And I call it that to hopefully get your attention and help you realize what I'm going to say next. If God can bring salvation to a prostitute working in a brothel by the testimony of her pagan customers, what can God do through us who have God's word, the Bible? We have the living God and the person of Jesus Christ living inside of us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to share our testimony, far too many of us fail to obey the great commission found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Let's turn there, please. Matthew 18, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, that command is for each and every one of us. It's not just for the pastor. It's not for the elders, but it's for everyone who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We must be sharing our faith, our testimony with the lost. Thinking about this, I've come up with a few reasons why I think we don't and why I don't. We claim to be a believer, 
but we don't have a personal testimony. A pe personal testimony is you testifying what God is either doing or has done in your life. To many who claim to be believers, they don't have any, test any type of testimony as what God is doing in their lives. James describes this as dead faith, which we will get to soon. Second reason, we feel we, we don't know enough. We feel that we have to have Bible verses memorized and we have to know all the church doctrines before I can share my faith. Not that any of that is bad and, and that we should be working to have that, but for the Rahabs of this world, they just need to hear what God has done in your life. Once they hear that, for the most part, that will have a tremendous impact on them. We need to be sharing your testimony of what God has done for you in your life. Third reason is that we have a testimony of what God has done in our lives, but we don't have it prepared. And when God gives us the opportunity, we say nothing. A class I took, you know, just a simple church class I took, my wife and I took some 40 years ago. It was led by a man named uh, Fred Steenmeyer. Um, many of you may, may know him. Um, I would say he was probably the, the greatest evangelist I ever personally knew. Uh, he recently uh, died here this early this summer. And uh, I know he's up in heaven rejoicing and fellowshipping with a number of folks that, that he personally led through God working in his life to, to, to Jesus. But this class, it, he encouraged us to do three things. He encouraged us to have a, a two-minute testimony and basically pick out one or two things that God has done in your life, come up with one or two Bible verses that bring some substance to it, and write it out and memorize it. Be ready to share it at any time that you have an opportunity to do so. And then he encouraged us to elaborate on that and make a five-minute testimony doing the same but then to include in that the, you know, the sinner's prayer and the process and the Bible verses that would lead someone to, to faith in, in Jesus Christ. And as important as these two, the most important one was to dedicate your life to prayer every day when you wake up to say to, say to God, God, bring someone into my life today that I can share my faith with that I can share my testimony with. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I guarantee you, if you would begin that process, if you would go through those two simple exercises and bathe it in prayer, you would become an evangelist. So getting back to our questions that the passages, verses 8 through 11 raises, the third question I had is, why did Rahab help the spies? Why would she do that? Why did she do this? Verses 8 through 11 is our answer. She realized that the God of the Israelites is the God of heaven and earth. So her faith controlled her choice. I made a choice. This, this could be um, a simple, this could be a, um, a, a, a description of the possible conversation that Rahab had with the two spies on her roof. I made a choice to hide you, to risk my life, and to disobey the king rather than taking the easy way out 
rather than doing everything that the world would tell me to do. For I had to make a decision. I had to decide who I was going to be identified with. Would the people of your God and hide and protect you, or was I going to remain identified with the people of Jericho and their God? That is why, that is why Rahab is mentioned in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Turn there, please. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great, great faith chapter of the Bible and is, and is an example of what faith is. Our particular passage is Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Let me repeat that. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So her decision to take in the spies was a faith move. It's clearly what this passage says. It's a faith move on the part of Rahab. This is important. Faith for the believer in Jesus Christ is more than just a feeling. It is action. It is works. If you want to know if you have faith, don't look at what you feel like or what you know because you can be a person of faith without feeling faithful. Because the real person of faith will have actions. They will do works for the object of their faith. And for the case of the Christian of the New Testament, that person or that object of their faith is Jesus Christ. So verse 11 is saying she welcomed the spies. She may and probably was scared to death. That's her feelings. She chose not to act on her feelings. She was scared to death to do that, but she acted in faith, and she welcomed them, she protected them, and she hid them. The, it, the entire story of Hebrews 11 is identifying the faithful person and what, and then it does what? In Hebrews 11, it identifies the faithful person, and then it does what? Does it tell about their wonderful conversion story? No. Does it, does it tell uh, what they were feeling? No. Does it tell us uh, what they did? Most definitely. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and you pull out these examples, let's look at verse 7, Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Okay, Noah was a man of faith. And what he did is that he built an ark. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. So Abraham was a man of faith. And what did he do? He was obedient and he went to a land he knew nothing about. To elaborate more on this, let's turn to the next book of the Bible, James. Turn over a couple pages. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14, which also utilizes Rahab. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is well clothed in daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, Keep warm and well fed, 
but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Move on to verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and set them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead as well. This is important. Our salvation is based on faith alone. It's exactly what Brad has been teaching all the way through Romans. I totally agree with that statement as well as does the uh, James, the author of James. But James qualifies our faith that if you have faith in Christ, that if your faith in Christ is true, if it is alive, then your life will be demonstrated by good works. First comes our salvation in Christ, which is through faith alone, but as the spirit of the living uh, God, Jesus Christ takes up residence in your life, then he will begin manifesting good works as you turn more and more of your life over to him. That is why I earlier stressed the question and the importance do you have a testimony that will go along with your profession of faith? A testimony as to what is God doing through you and in you? If you don't, you need to be examining, you need to be questioning if the faith you are relying on for salvation is alive or is it dead. You need to do this because God's word clearly does it as well. Now one final thing from verses 8 through 11. Who else is Rahab mentioning when she is describing her faith? Go back to verses 8 through 11. Who else is she including when she's telling about all the, 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 the mighty feats that the Israelites have done? Who is the we and who are the ours? This inclusion of all of the people of Jericho in her testimony is interesting. She's not only talking about herself, she's talking about Everyone that is uh, alive in Jericho. All the we's and the ours listed here who have heard the accounts of the Israelites who are melting in fear. Their hearts are melting. Their courage is failing these last 40 years are no different than most of the folks today who know about God but are not willing to deal with him. They knew about this God intellectually. They also knew about him in their souls. How can I say that? Because they were scared. They were fearful. Their courage was waning. They were scared to death. But in spite of all this, they are still going to follow their God. The same today, and it could be even some in this room this morning, they know a lot about God, but they have never entered into a relationship with him. And in spite of all the rest of the people of Jericho, Rahab is saying, as for me, your God is the God of heaven and earth, and I am going to hide you, protect you, and I'm going to identify with you. And because of this work of faith, God showed up and supernaturally delivered her and her family from the destruction that came upon Jericho and ever, that everyone else went through. Now let's move on to verses 12 through 16 of Joshua 2. Twelve. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. 
Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had uh, now she had said to them, go to the hills so the, so the pursuers would not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. We see Rahab cutting a deal with the spies and indirectly with God. The lesson here for us is if we start doing the works of faith, our faith becomes a living faith. We begin taking on the mind of Christ and he becomes more and more uh, entrenched in our heart, our spirit, and in our mind. Our prayer life becomes more and more an intimate relationship with God where we begin experiencing the supernatural things of God just like what Rahab has experienced. One of the reasons why many of us don't see God coming through for us supernaturally is that he can't find a living faith at work in our lives. So if we want God to supernaturally intervene in our work situation, in our relationship problems, our career challenges, our problems that uh, between our parents and the kids, our financial issues and our marriages, you got to have a faith and a faith that works. So just like Rahab, who had a faith that works, she and her family got delivered. She saw God interrupt history by supernaturally impacting the natural and just like God did for Rahab, he can do for you. And finally, verses 17 through 21, the mid sent to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible as for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head, and if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. We earlier, earlier had read um, in Joshua 6, when the wall came down, we see the physical deliverance of Rahab and her family. This came about because she hung the the red cord, the scarlet cord out her window. Every commentary that I've read on this has a little bit different take on it. The one I specifically like best is that that red cord represented the blood of Christ. And just like the blood of Christ, that the, the, just like the blood that the Israelites put over their doorposts for the Passover, that same uh, red cord did the thing, same thing for, for Rahab. It, it saved her from... Um, the, the coming doom in, in the town of Jericho. But whatever meaning you, you take for the core, all of them are centered on the grace of God, God's unearned favor in our lives that saves us from hell, and specifically for Rahab and her family, God's specific deliverance from the destruction of Jericho. You know that there's, a, uh, there's another mention of a red cord at play in this passage. Do you, do you see where it, where it is? There's another use of the red cord. In verse 18, 
the, the same red cord that Rahab risked her life in saving the lives of the two spies. The same red cord that she used to let the spies out the window is the same red cord that she was told to put out her window for her salvation when Jericho was destroyed. She extended grace to them when she let them out the window because the easiest thing for Rahab to have done was to say to the king's emissaries, yeah, they're in here, come and get them. But she didn't. She extended grace to them. Ladies and gentlemen, if, if you want to enjoy the supernatural deliverance, the delivering grace of God in our lives, we need to have a faith and a faith that works. And the faith that works is usually nine times out of ten extending grace to others, just as Rahab did to the two spies. But you say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that right after service. I'm going to go see Mary and Susie and Joe and Bob. But I would imagine that the Marys and the Susies and the Joes and the Bobs are folks that you would have gone and seen in any case. They are your friends, folks you have a natural friendship with, and a give-and-take relationship. But God wants you extending grace to Rahab. The folks who have done nothing for you are most likely you will never get anything in return from. If you want God's supernatural grace, these are the works you need to be doing. Okay, why don't you help me, team? Finally, turn to Matthew 1.5. This passage in Matthew, or the beginning part of this passage in Matthew, is the genealogy of, of Abraham. And 1.5 says the following, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab got married. She married a guy by the name of Salmon. Um, we don't have time, but Salmon was in the contracting business, and Salmon uh, built the, the, the city of Bethlehem where our um, Savior was born. And as we go on down to verse 16 in our passage, this lineage from Abraham that included Rahab, we see in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. The lineage ends with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The lesson for us is that Jesus doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care how bad it is, how many men you've slept with, how many women there have been. He doesn't care about all the despicable things that you have done. Because if you will call on him, if you will call out to him, he will take your past, he will take your messes, and he will embrace you and make you part of his family, just as he has done for Rahab. Let me close us with prayer. Father God, you are a God of embracement. You are a God that, um, just like when a mother embraces her child, a spouse embraces their partner, a friend embraces another friend. You are a God that is desirous to embrace us. Help us to be the men and women who do the work of faith, who strive and are intentional in pursuing the Rahabs of this world. Help us to be prepared 
share our faith at a moment's notice. And Father, may we grow in your embrace as we strive to serve you 